Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer industry, as well as beer lovers from other realms of popular culture. As always, I'm here in the tap room with my co-host, our head brewer, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hello. Our first guest is a founder and co-owner of Charlotte, North Carolina's Resident Culture Brewing Company. She started the brewery in 2017 with Philip McLam and Chris Tropiano. The brewery quickly made a name for itself by producing outstanding lagers and IPAs. They are known for their mixed fermentation program, which includes using local yeast cultures in their beer. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Amanda McLam. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Happy to be here and to be with y'all. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. I know uh, you and Marie were just on the, uh, the Women's Forum up in New York City, so thank you again for agreeing to join us today. And uh, we'll jump right into this. So when was your first exposure to craft beer? Um, well, so the very first time that I had a, a true beer experience, um, I'm, I'm Chinese and Irish, uh, Chirish as I like to call myself. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a lot of, a lot of the good things on both sides, yes. but, uh, you know, I, I don't get the flush, which is great. Um, but yeah, so I, when I was 17, I had the opportunity to go to Ireland um, as part of a history course that I was doing. Um, and I, part of that tour of Ireland was, uh, going through the Guinness factory. Um, and while that's obviously beer on a much different scale, um, I was a huge Guinness beer lover, um, and getting to see that in a country that I have lineage in was just a transformational experience for me about what beer could be and what it meant. Um, and then subsequently I went to move out to Los Angeles after that the next year. Um, and I was the crazy person who, while everybody else was drinking ice house and like whatever kegs would come around, um, you know, when it was my turn, I was working my tail off, um, at school and then also saving money so that I could get this Sierra Nevada, keg to bring um when it was my turn to buy just because i knew what i liked um yeah i mean i i just i've always been an obsessive food and bev person i that's awesome that i ever had a fake id but if i did it would be to (laughs) have gone to napa valley and stuff like that before i was of age, which I never did. But if I had, you know, maybe that was, no, something I, I hear I you. Do. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you and, um, Philip meet Chris, uh, Tropiano, AKA tropes? Yeah. Tropes. Um, the universe has delivered the most like kismet, beautiful things to us. We feel very lucky collectively as a, as a trio and the way that things have shaken out. Um, tropes went to, uh, Wake Forest University um, for his undergrad. He grew up actually only like 20 minutes away from where I grew up outside of New York City. Oh. Um, so that in itself was fun. But he went to Wake Forest and his roommate in college, um, also named Chris, was one of Philip's best clients when he was in the banking world back in New York. So they were really close. They worked together on a lot of deals. Um, over the years, and they both had roots in Charlotte, uh, the other Chris and Philip. So when we started to look into creating a brewery and um, in the space where Philip's family had uh, had a warehouse for years that we transformed into the brewery and the production site, we had been talking to Chris, Philip's old business friend and his father, um, and eventually uh he mentioned that his very best friend from college was now living in California, working for Russian river and might be interested. So, oh, that's amazing. um, 
Yeah. So the universe and the Weird. stars aligned. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we met him, went to a concert together, went and saw Russian River. Um, and by the end of it, we all um, just collectively knew that this was this was the right fit. We were very much aligned. And now five, six years later in the process, we feel even more strongly, especially with what the world's kind of brought brought along the way the last couple of years. So we feel very lucky to be in business with him. That's awesome. That is awesome for sure. So, I mean, when did you guys first hash out the idea to open a craft beer brewery? And what were you all doing for a living at that time? Oh, <laughs> not this. Um, and <laughs> None of us were doing this. Yeah. I, I was I was yeah. a CPA. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think it's it's funny. We all laugh about it and we're like, not doing this and doing things that made it even more exciting to just leave everything risk yes, it all and, and do this, you know, you know, although I know CPA work is thrilling. That's what. <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, that, listen, uh, I sat, I sat behind a desk for 15 years. I was ready to not sit behind a desk anymore. <laughs> that's all I knew, you know? Yes. Yes. Same. Well, um, so, uh, Philip was in finance. He was in, uh, corporate commercial real estate. So um, he was underwriting and originating deals on real estate projects for a bank. Um, He was great at it. He worked his tail off. It was very reliable work. Um, And Chris had been uh, living in Austin after school, had a marketing job that he absolutely hated. Um, A year later that didn't work out. And he just was like, I'm going to go, uh, to a local brewery in Austin and just offer to help work in the canning line, do anything I can to pick up work and eventually worked his way into getting a job in brewing, um, which he was super passionate about and then home brewing. Um, for me, I had been in a completely different industry as well. I was, uh, I started my career at Vogue at Condé Nast on the business side. Um, it was an incredible first job out of school uh, just to learn from the corporate best as far as having like a super polished, super um, high level intensive, you know, work pretty much 24 hours around the clock, seven days a week kind of job. Yep. And it taught me a lot. And it also taught me a lot about what I wasn't interested in doing. I think all three of us felt like cogs in a wheel that didn't really, you know, we didn't feel like our contributions mattered. Ultimately we were replaceable and also not really feeling seen in what we, we did. And so we wanted to create something where we could do that and also make our team members, um, hopefully feel a little bit more integral and in terms of what they were able to do and help to be here. So kind kind of more like a family. I mean, that's kind of like the approach that we take here. I mean, we are still, you know, a small business, but everybody here is really almost like a family member. You know, for for me, it's kind of like including everybody in everybody has a, you know, kind of a say so as far as input on beer styles, what we do, it's not just coming from me. I've always been very inclusive with everybody for, you know, whatever we do in, I think it's a different approach business-wise of people being able to kind of have that input and feel that they're more part of something than just doing a laborious task every single day, same thing over and over and over again. The big part of that is the mother hen, Maria. I tend to be everyone's (laughs) mom around here. Yeah. Like I have a daughter, an 11-year-old daughter, but, you know, um, they're all my kids. So speaking of kids... I think I read that you had a baby and opened the brewery in a five-month span. Which came first, the baby or the brewery? And what do you remember about that time? Oh, to answer the last question first, nothing. I completely, uh, the whole thing was in a fog. But I feel like with the, for anybody that's had kids for your, the birth of your first child and that transformation of being a totally independent being to being uh, the one source of somebody's everything. Um, you're not going to remember a lot because it's just so physically, emotionally exhaustive. Um, and I feel the same way about uh, opening up a business. Like it is, 
you, every single person, if you open up with other people being underneath, you know, employed by you, you have so much that is reliant on you and, and what you can bring to the table. So it was regardless if it was one or the other, I probably would have had the same just total like mind erasure. <laughs> um, but in, I did both at once, which was pretty stupid. And then we're opening up a second location with a, with our second kid. So, you know, I think we're just signing up for, Wait, are, for this. For kids, what kids second, and you, locations? Are, right, right. Are you, uh, are you going for a third location, third kid? I mean, is that, is that what we're doing here? <laughs> uh, yeah, Philip and I are, I keep on laughing about the fact that, like, we just shouldn't have any more kids like just, well, I, well i can just say for the sake of like the universe you know right I, I i have three so just adding like that third member is like not a big deal getting to two was like okay this is this is kind of a mile mark adding the third is like uh you know no big deal because it's just another hanger on but then that means another brewery for her to open if we go know, if space. we go based on yes, past history that's amazing yeah yeah the second one was born in the middle of like you know pandemic lockdown oh plus we just we're we're so it, it has been something to laugh about because it's so extraordinary um but yeah i think i think especially that first one before we knew what we were getting into with yep. opening up a brewery or having a first kid um it was a lot it was crazy um and yeah well i'm, I'm grateful for for both experiences but it was a wild adventure for both that was uh i always laugh that like the biggest obstacles in my life and the hardest times are actually what i'm i i, I am truly the most grateful for because they've defined who i am as a person and created where i go from there um but like while you're in it man that's that's yeah. a whole other story yeah, yeah i'm sure <laughs> That's amazing. So let, let's talk a little bit about the pandemic. So at, at the onset of the pandemic, Forbes featured you guys, Resident Culture, as an example of a small business pivoting quickly to get through some difficult times. How did you manage to survive, like a lot of us, as a brewery whose on-sale premises at the time accounted for 75% of total revenue? Yes. Uh, so for us, we actually hadn't distributed period before that. I mean, one-offs to restaurants that we really loved, but we did not have a distribution network at all. Um, it was in our goals for year four, funny enough. Um, but it was, it was not what we were planning on doing in year two. Um, we pivoted very quickly. Uh, I have a brother in Los Angeles and that shut down earlier than Charlotte, North Carolina did. And I'm, like I said earlier, I'm half Chinese. I have a lot of friends that are in, uh, in Hong Kong, especially that I'm close with, uh, weirdly enough, also a close family friend that is a cruise ship captain in Italy. So that's awesome. I, we had an extraordinary, um, purely by design and, and not any special vision had, had a heads up on what was coming our way a little bit before I think most people, had that sinking realization of right. the fact that this was not something happening elsewhere. This was coming home. Uh, so we shut down our tap room um, the week before it was mandated and before it started to hit oh, Charlotte. Wow. Um, we felt crazy. We were sitting in an all hands meeting with our team talking through it. And I was like, I feel like the paranoid, you know, grandparent in this room right now. <laughs> but um, I also, Philip and I felt very strongly at, with, with Chris as well, that this was something that we really needed to get ahead of. Um, I was super pregnant at the time oh. and it was a pretty wild next few months, obviously for everybody. We yeah. uh, shut down immediately. I worked with our website team uh, who's incredible craft peak. They work at, with a lot of craft breweries. They, helped me along with a few other businesses protagonist of a brewery in town had already opened up a, a website. So I worked pretty much for three days straight building an online shop for us, which I'd done before, but usually not pregnant with a lot of caffeinated beverages to work around the clock. So that was 
extraordinary. And Philip was an incredible partner, both in business and as a dad, uh, taking full reins on keeping our three-year-old busy. Yes. Busy. Of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. Busy. Um, helping get me fed. Cause you know, I, I wasn't really in that mindset to get this up and running. Um, and then we had another really great opportunity where we had been mobile canning that whole way through, um, throughout the first two years. And we had just made a huge purchase in advance, put half down payment on oh, a wow. canning line to come and be set up. Sounds so kind of like that us. Arrived. Yeah. <laughs> really? We did, yeah, we wow. did. The, we, we bought a goose. We bought a three head goose and had put the deposit down. Well, not just that. The tanks no, that we bought. We had also bought um, two new 30s or three three 30s, a 15, and a wooden footer and took delivery of them in January of 2020 and had put a deposit oh down gosh. and put a deposit down half on a three head goose filler. Yep. As well. Yep. And then the pandemic wow. hit and it's like, uh, okay, now what do, what do we do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, it was, you know, it's so interesting because when that happens, like what we experienced, I'm sure you all did too, was a major like, oh no, I just sunk all this money into yep. something. Where is this world going? What's happening? And then what we realized as we moved forward and had to place the second half of that payment upon arrival in early May of 2020 is, wow, this is actually the most extraordinary gift that we could have ever signed up for to have this coming into place um, right when it did. So we had the opportunity to dial in our canning line and have a canning line in-house to can as quickly as beer was ready, as opposed to waiting for our mobile canners who are now then totally booked up um, to arrive and can, you know, three, four different styles in a day, um, and then have to wait for the next turn. Yep. We just felt very lucky. So we, we went full to curbside pickup. We moved to delivery. Um, our assistant, uh, manager in our tap room shifted to being our distro, uh, and sales manager and, uh, that's John Eberhardt, and he yeah. has been with us since day one and really just stepped into that role and then uh, blew it out of the water. Um, awesome. So we we feel very lucky that we were able to pivot as quickly as we did, and our entire team really just made some impossible magic happen by all showing up for the company and also showing up for each other. Um, you know, right. the people that needed to stay home were able to stay home. We were able to keep our entire team on board the entire time um through the way that we pivoted and we feel very lucky that that was how it worked out you're listening to the beer hour and we're speaking to amanda mclam of resident culture back in march you guys announced plans to open a second tap room in a seventeen thousand square foot space on west bland street can you tell us a little bit about the project and what kind of capabilities will that second space give to you that you don't have now? That's a great question. So uh, we knew, we always knew when we opened that we wanted to have a greater footprint just because at the end of the day, distro is, is great. And we, we love that. And we love working with our partners there. As far as our beer experience, we truly believe that every single bartender that is within the resident culture family is one of the most important team members to us. Every single time that a customer comes in and experiences your beer within your own space, you have the ultimate opportunity of imparting how special that liquid is and uh, how it got there and why it's important. Um, you know, I, I grew up being more exposed to the, wine world um and the difference between going to a vineyard and having tastes of that wine versus uh you know just getting it at a restaurant with some great food are just very different in terms of how it makes you feel and the yes. connectivity to the story behind it so we always wanted to have that have more spaces that are wholly ours to impart those experiences and 
top to bottom hospitality wise and in terms of like knowledge base that we were able to help a patron or a new friend understand what it is that we're doing um, with our beer, but also culturally. So we had been looking for a long time. We also are dorks in the sense that we love taking spaces that exist um, within our community and having that sense of place. It's something that's important to us with our beer. It's why we have a cool ship, even though it only gets like cool ship temperatures in North Carolina, maybe four times a year if we're lucky, but it's like, we just, that's so important to us whenever we're looking at, at a place to be connected to the exact location where we are. So we had looked for a while. We found a couple of places that were good, but didn't necessarily click for us. Um, and we found this space in South End. South End, for anybody that's familiar with, say, like Williamsburg 10 years ago, I'm from New York City, so that's something that I feel connected to. It's like that. It's just, oh, wow. it's very early days of this super high energy environment where everything is walkable. There's a light rail system that connects you to Uptown for anybody nice. who's coming home from work. It is the heartbeat of the city. And yet everything that's opening up there right now is phenomenal in terms of what it offers. But a lot of them are uh, smaller artisanal franchises. So it's places that are fantastic out of Nashville, New Orleans, Charleston that are coming into town. Um, And that is so incredible for our city. And at the same time, there's this responsibility that we feel like we have of making sure that Charlotte continues to have a local presence in a space that is in a, in a section of town that's starting to thrive. We want to make sure that Charlotte continues to be represented by local businesses too. So of course uh, we found this incredible um, old bus depot maintenance. Oh, that's place. amazing. It is the upstairs is 10,200 square feet, the downstairs, which is subterranean with some windows, which is super special, um, is about 7,000 square feet. And, um, it has just these wildly high ceilings, old exposed brick with like graffiti and paint peeling and just now I'm gonna have to come check it out for sure (laughs) yes yes I can't wait I seriously I can't wait to to show you around Charlotte as it is stands now and just um and also the space it just is so special all three of us walked in and we've seen a lot of spaces together and this was like immediate click for all of us it was just so beautiful um and right where we were hoping to be so we got very excited to be there to share this space. It's just a tap room. Um, it's going to have uh, cocktails and oh. our beer there. We will not have production oh, on okay. site, um, okay. but we will have food and coffee, which we're excited about Amazing. too with partners. Amazing. So I got one last question for you since the holiday is like a week away. What will you guys be drinking during Thanksgiving dinner? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think it goes without saying we're almost out of it, but we um, won very recently um, the FOBAB Best in Show Award, and we Ooh. have a few bottles of our sympathetic mixed culture left. Nice. Uh, so we'll definitely be having that. That like My dream meal with that is always like dumplings and like super fatty umami stuff with Ooh. this like... okay wild ale right um so we'll be doing that but we're actually just coming out with an idaho 7 hopped version and an idaho 7 and apricot version so okay um i will be taste testing and also celebrating um our team just crushing it and and i'm so proud of them and also i so believe in those beers um you know we I, I think we'll we'll always finish off with a barrel aged stout. Cheers, you know, at the end of our <laughs> of meal, right? With a bunch of for dessert, and for dessert, yes, yep. yeah. You know, I mean, we're in the south, so there's probably going to be chocolate southern or like chocolate chest pie that's in the mix. Pecan and, can't have you got to have the pecan pie in there too. You know. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, 
you know, and, and all of those rich things. So yes. we'll definitely have to have some of that with it because those are also great and good for sharing. But um, I think we're all going to be sipping on that mixed culture goodness Excellent. because we just are uh, a little shell shocked about it. Honestly. That's amazing. That is awesome. <laughs> That's an awesome, 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 awesome. Thing. Congratulations on yeah. that as well. But thank you very much, Amanda. We very much appreciate your time. So nice this was to awesome you. to talk to you. And uh, we definitely need to, I mean, we have to come up to Charlotte anyways. We have to kind of we got to fi- finally launch our brand that yeah, we've officially. already been there for like three years. Three years. Yeah. But we need to get up there and launch the brand. We need to come hang out with you guys and, uh, and collaborate. Thank you very sure. much. It yes, been awesome. absolutely. We'd love to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk to both of you. Thank you, Amanda. Yes, and have a uh, good holiday and a good day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. You too. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. For more than a decade, our next guest has been a formative figure in modern Southern cuisine. A Texas native, he graduated from Texas Culinary Academy, moved to Mississippi and made his mark in the city of Jackson. As the executive chef of Salty and Oyster Bar, he was nominated for Best Chef in the South by the James Beard Foundation in 2016. His work at Fine and Dandy is a creative endeavor to put a modern twist on Southern dining. More importantly to our listeners, he has cooked a turkey or two in his day and has a few tips to help you up your game Thursday. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Jesse Houston. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's good been see you guys. it's it's been a minute, but uh, good to actually uh, have you on and uh, talk to you in a physical space here. Uh, we're also joined by Maria. Hi. So, so so let's get this thing rolling take us back to the beginning how old were you when you first developed an interest in cooking um you know my mom cooked a lot growing up uh and uh, i was always you know interested in in watching her cook Uh, my great-grandmother uh was an amazing cook and um, i wish i would have was old enough to really pay attention to what she's doing because her recipes were uh, incredible, and I, they still stick me with stick with me to this day. Um, but it wasn't until my parents divorced when I was fifteen, and I went in to live with my dad, who was a blue collar, you know, construction worker, uh, and never really did the lion's share of cooking whatsoever. That I started to cook for myself, basically because. I had to survive, and most of his meals went in the trash can. So, <laughs> well, I, you know what? We sound very similar, though. Yeah, I really, you know, piqued my interest in uh, survival slash uh, culinary arts. That's um, amazing. And uh, I really liked it, so I started cooking for friends and family, and um, and everybody seemed to be into it. So I, I took a look into culinary school, um, and it was kind of a little bit of a far reach for me right out of high school, but. Eventually, I went and I went to the uh, Texas Culinary Academy. It was a Le Cordon Bleu program in Austin, Texas. It's no longer around, but um, and that was in uh, 2007. Nice. So, yeah, you describe yourself as self-taught, which I, I can relate to because my mom used to order me uh, box dinners that would show up, and the dinner rolls would be hard as rocks. You could throw them through a window. So I started taking on that I could <laughs> learn and teach myself how to cook. Did you have any like? You said your mom and your grandma, were those really your influences for cooking or were there some other people that kind of laid into that as well? Well, when I really started uh, pursuing cooking, um, you know, let's say the Food Network was just a a brand new thing. Um, But early, early in my childhood, right after Sesame Street came the Frugal Gourmet, um, you know, uh, the Cajun guy and, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yan can cook. And so I watched a lot of those. I just continued watching all those cooking shows directly after Sesame street even. Um, and so when the food network came out, it was just sort of a continuation of that. And Bobby Flay was an absolute nobody. Uh, Emerald Lagasse was starting to become hot with the Emerald live and things like that. And so I started looking at uh, food on a, on a global scale, uh, researching cookbooks and, and, you know, finding chefs that interest me. And so I thought, you know, the more exotic and the more far away the ingredients and all that kind of stuff, uh, the better. But when I moved to Austin for culinary school, um, 
my focus because of Austin being what it is and, and staying hyper local and keeping Austin weird and all that kind of stuff. Um, I became grounded more into cooking uh, what's available and what's near me and what the local farmers and things like that have. And it, it taught me a whole lot. So you were the executive chef at Saltine in, in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. Was that your first high profile gig? And were you at all nervous about to be the big dog at such a, a young age? Yeah, so Saltine was my first ever restaurant that I I was an owner of and that I, I built completely uh, from, you know, my brain and my thoughts and my heart. And um, it meant a lot to me. Um, you know, unfortunately, just kind of had a, you know, business partner thing that a lot of people go through. And uh, I wound up uh, selling my steak in that restaurant to them. But, but Saltine was sort of a, a huge catalyst for me. Um, it really let me just kind of have not too many rules and, and have a lot of fun. And, um, you know, did get the James Beard nomination there. We were also up for, um, Bon Appetit's, uh, top 50 new restaurants in the country. Wow. And so it was, a you know, it was a big platform. It was, it was a lot of, a lot of fun. And so, I got to meet, um, some of our buddies, uh, yeah. I got to meet Mike Martinez and Philip Esteban and, and, Chef uh, Jason McLeod, uh, all out of San Diego, um, through that uh, restaurant. Um, and so I've made these lifelong um, connections yeah. and, and friendships and all that kind of stuff. So, so what do you think you learned the most about the restaurant business as a result of becoming an executive chef slash owner at Saltine that kind of helped pave the way for the rest, you know, the rest of your career that's been going on? Uh, well, uh, one of the biggest things I've learned is that it's, uh, it's not all about me. You know, it's right. not the Jesse Houston show I, the, the restaurant, even if I own it or whatever, doesn't say Jesse Houston's, um, you know, it is, uh, it's about a team and the people that you set yourself, uh, people that you surround yourself with, uh, the people that you put into roles, um, alongside you, other management roles and, um, you know, even your, um, your staff, uh, that supports you and you can't do any of it without them. Um, and so, you know, the, the desire for a team, um, and, uh, teamwork and a family, because you spend more time with the people you work with by far than your actual family at home. Um, absolutely. You know, is, is, uh, is, is, is the most important thing. And so, you know, putting your personal, some of, some of them aside, um, because you still have, you know, your own integrity and your own, uh, your own vision, the whole reason why you're, why you're there and you're in that role. Um, but putting some of those, uh, some of the ego and things like that aside to, to come together with a team is the biggest thing I've learned. And, and unfortunately I've had to learn that the hard way in some cases and, uh, you know, um, completely, you know, land on my face and, and, and fail a few times to, to get that lesson through. No, I hear you. So I absolutely hear that. I mean, team, I mean, it's been a long road, seven years now for us, but it's always been about trying to find that team that works so well together that just keeps everything rolling. Cause I can't do it by myself. So you have to have all those kind of chess pieces put together to make sure it all kind of rolls in the right direction. And you guys are, you know, like a well old machine, you know what I mean? Right. But so kind of describe that the moment. I mean, you said, you know, you got the nomination from Bon Appetit. You also had, what is it, uh, Southern Living's Magazine's Best Restaurants 2015. And, you know, the nomination from James Beard. Do you remember the moment that you found out that you were nominated for that award? Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was in bed sleeping. And um, <laughs> I don't think, I don't know if it was my day off or if I was the day I was going in later to close or whatever, but. You know, I was just like drooling in my pillow and my phone was just going off like, you know, like crazy um, for both the, the James Beard thing and the, um, the Bon Appetit thing. Um, it came as a, a huge surprise to, to everybody. Um, and it was, uh, it was very humbling and, and something that I definitely didn't expect whatsoever. Um, when, when, you know, speaking of teamwork, when, um, Andrew Knowlton, who was the huge like food editor of Bon Appetit at the time, I'm not sure if he still is. When he came to Saltine, I was actually on uh, a trip to Dallas, um, and so you know I wasn't there cooking the food. I wasn't there, right you on. know, giving him making sure his service was awesome. He happened to sit down at the bar, 
um, you know, and got the, the right person at the right time and everybody executed at the right level. And, um, you know, it was something that as an owner of a brand new restaurant was very nerve wracking to me to leave the restaurant for any real amount of time. Of course. Um, and, and build it. And the James Beard thing was a huge surprise because, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't really, it's, in the past, and maybe still, and I think they're working on doing some things to change some of this. It's felt like a, you know, like a boys' club or a, right. um, all about who you know and you know whose tail feathers you fluff and all that kind of stuff. And and I don't I don't play those games or do any of that kind of stuff. In fact, I've you know maybe uh, abrasively rubbed against some of those shoulders here and there. So <laughs> that was a huge surprise, um, you know. And uh, so I'm really, I was really grateful and, and, and for that because it's the last thing I expected it to really happen. No, I hear you. I mean, right. but I mean, still, all those nominations are, are, are big things, big, you know, definitely yeah. across the board. So next for you after Saltine came Fine and Dandy. You you called mm-hmm. your approach there, Grandma Chic. So yes. what 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 was the concept behind Fine and Dandy? So uh, the concept is, is always still feels like it's ever evolving at fine and dandy. Um, it, it was kind of uh, the, I met uh, a, a guy named uh, Ray Scott when I parted ways with, uh, with saltine, he approached me um, pretty much right away. In fact, um, I had just booked to stay in Tulum, Mexico to do this residency chef thing, uh, this boutique hotel called Zamas and, um, and booked that whole stay and, he, uh, he approached me and said, Hey, I've been following your career. I really love you to you know, partner with me on this restaurant. And I want to do this burger snacks and, and, and cocktails concept. And so sort of over lots of different calls and everything from, from Mexico back to Jackson, we developed this concept of, and grandma chic sort of, uh, <laughs> came up, but this is that, you know, our grandmothers would have cooked at a cocktail party. Right. Uh, if they were having right. a cocktail party, if they were hosting a dinner at their house with all the fancy china, right, and uh, you know silverware and setting up the whole deal, um, and so we started really exploring that kind of food. So it was, you know, food from the '60s and the '70s, uh, you know, but also comforting Southern classics uh, since we're rooted in the South, and you know, paired with uh, paired with burgers and a, a really nice cocktail list um and uh it's evolved and we're kind of becoming a little bit less about the burger now a little bit more about um what jackson cuisine means to us which is still very uh grandma-y um, we always say we are <laughs> you mean southern comfort southern comfort right a yeah. little, little bit of southern um, comfort yeah yeah for sure and um it, it, we're actually releasing a new menu tomorrow Ooh. um it's gonna be it's gonna be it's kind of a little bit um, ambitious uh, in terms of you know, what we're capable of doing. Um, maybe not, it's not necessarily ambitious on a, uh, you know, a modern restaurant uh, level, but, but with what we have to work with, um, it's ambitious for us. And so I'm excited about that and see how the staff uh, responds to it. And this menu is definitely born from listening a lot to what everyone else was asking for, what, you know, uh, especially, especially the staff and, right. and the other managers, and you know, when you go out to eat, what are you looking for? Okay, and what excites you, and things like that. And so, kind of taking some of those ideas and putting, you know, our spin on it um, is kind of progressing the menu along, and hopefully, um, we'll see a good, really good response to that. You're listening to the Beer Hour, and we're speaking to Chef Jesse Houston. So. Thanksgiving. Talk about beer. Oh, we're going to right now. So Thanksgiving is less than a week away. You know the the simple fact. You know stresses a lot of people out. You know it's a holiday where the menu offers very little wiggle room. When you host Thanksgiving, the guests expect a turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes, cranberry sauce, etc., etc. Not to mention how difficult it is to properly cook a turkey. I mean, I I don't have that problem, but I I know a lot of people do. Right, Maria. Good Lord, this man is his biggest hype man. But anyways, <laughs> you know, it, it is it is tough to cook a turkey properly. Can you give us a few of your Thanksgiving cooking tips? And, you know, as we go through, we're going to lay down a menu, too, and, and we're going to go a little bit of tit for tat, like 
first course, you know, appetizers, main course, dessert, and I'm going to pair some beers that I think would go well with what you're you're throwing down. Sure. So, you know, turkey, um, I used to have these turkey throwdown competitions with my dad every year. My dad, oh, by the way, full circle, he's a much, much, much better cook now. Awesome. He is actually really good. His awesome. food is completely edible. <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah. <laughs> so... So actually, so we would get better and we would have turkey throwdown competition. So I've cooked turkeys, oh my gosh, in just like every kind of way imaginable. Um, so, you know, everyone knows the, the, the hardest part is getting that, the, the breasts not dried out um, and palatable. So there's lots of, you know, tips and tricks and different kinds of techniques that you can, that you can do, uh, obviously from, from brining uh, if you ever have the time or the equipment to sous vide, um, that stuff is becoming much more accessible and cheaper these days. Um, sous veding a turkey breast Ooh. will yield in the silkiest, smoothest, moistest turkey breast you've ever had in your life. I definitely recommend doing that. Um, or even a, a confit, um, you know, start saving all the bacon fat, um, ever Ooh. go to the store, maybe buy some duck fat. Oh, and uh, okay. just uh, dry brine, which is basically just like a, a dry cure rub. or rub yeah. yep. uh, on the turkey. And then I cut it into pieces so you can have the, the, the legs and the breasts and all that stuff separate. And then submerge all of that in fat uh, after it's cured for about like overnight. And then uh, once oh. again, you will have oh. just... You're going to get a phone call later yes, from John, there we go. There we go. Uh, a little bit yes, more detail for that explanation. My, my dad, my dad will never let me forget the, uh, the, um, the duck fat comfy turkey because he went to go pull it out of the oven and slosh duck fat all over the tile kitchen floors. Oh my gosh. And duck fat is the, I know, slipperiest. the hardest substance to get off of yep. like something like that too spreading forever what are your favorite sides um it's funny because obviously i'm i'm latina so my mom will make a mojo style turkey and then she'll do stuffing but her stuffing is just picadillo like the ground beef you know and then she has she throws like maduros on the side but i like a traditional american like i make collard greens for my dad here's the question oh yeah here's the question are you stuffing the bird or are you making your stuffing on the side? I'm a, I'm a stuffing on the side kind of guy. I have an well, uncle that always cooks so, turkey so as well. So you're a dressing guy. You're not a stuffing guy. You're a dressing Basically, guy. Basically, I'm a dressing guy. Yeah. We'll call it, a, yes, proper term would be dressing. <laughs> so I don't like stuffing the bird. My uncle does because he always makes a turkey at Thanksgiving as well. I make one. He makes one. He stuffs his bird. I make dressing on the side. What school of thought are you on that? Uh, I'm more of a dressing guy too. Uh, I'll make it on the side. Um, and then I usually stuff my bird if I'm doing it that way with aromatics and right. citrus Correct. and things like that. Yeah. Okay. So let's walk down a, a three part Thanksgiving. We'll go appetizer main course and, and dessert. And I'm going to go and shoot from the hip here. What would you be laying down and I'll pair the beer with it. Uh, for an appetizer, uh, my family hates it, but I love making turkey liver, uh, oh. moose, or things like that, um, because that's a totally underutilized part of the bird. And uh, you know, you can, you obviously typically comes with all of that stuff, and you can at some markets still have you know packs of it for crazy cheap. Um, and that's an excellent, uh, Thanksgiving appetizer in my opinion. My family, um, is always like, not again. Um, so, so you're thinking, so a little bit of minerality, uh, a little bit more of the, uh, darker meat, darker, like gamey flavor, rich, but rich with, you know, yeah, very rich, uh, lots of, lots of bacon cooked oh. in with it. Um, and, but you always pair it with, uh, something, you know, tart typically and most, most liver, thing so like you know fruit compote or something like that oh okay um, so then so then that's an easy shoot because then we'd have to go with a berliner weiss oh, a fruit of berliner weiss. yeah actually we're doing run right now with cranberry orange cranberry and, and orange and thyme and thyme yep. so that would probably be a perfect pairing so a cranberry that, yeah, orange yeah, thyme. yeah you throw the thyme in there that's i mean that is a thanksgiving um i mean shoot I won't, yeah, you'll be able to try <laughs> it. In like you're going to try it. You're going to be able to try it in two weeks when you're here. Awesome. Uh, so what Perfect. do you 
Let's go main course. The bird. The bird. Um, are you, you know? Are, are you uh, call, are you confi? Are you going confi? I don't know what I'm doing this year. I I, I really I did a Valentine last year um, where I deboned the entire bird, oh my but gosh. left it completely whole, and then rolled it all up in its skin. Uh, I took whatever scraps and I kind of made a force meat out of that, so that filled in any gaps. And rolled it all up, trussed it, poached it. And then I spent time grilling it over, hanging it over an open flame outside. Oh. And I think I could have done it better. Okay. I wasn't quite happy with stunning. It was full, it was tasty, but there were certain parts that were dry. So I'm thinking I may do that again um, if I've got the time. But it is, I would say the flavors of it are more traditional turkey flavors. Um, okay. So you've got your, you know, you've got your sage and thyme. Uh, there was definitely a mirepoix in that uh, force meat. Um, lots of, uh, like I was melting butter on the grill with lots of bay leaves, and, and I was brushing it with like a rosemary like brush, basically, uh, as I was basting the turkey as it, as it did its thing. Um, so I would say the flavors of that were much more traditional, although uh, Maria doing a Latin turkey, uh, you, you piqued my interest because – uh, in the Yucatan, I learned all about cochinita pibil, and so doing uh, you know a sour orange and uh, achiote rub, and then maybe just like burying that turkey sounds like yeah, something totally she cool. Makes, to done she makes she takes sticks of butter and she makes this like uh, with um, um, cumin and uh, uh-huh. bay leaf and garlic. And she rubs the whole bird with that. And then she puts onions and bacon and sour orange. And she kill, she stuffs it with the with the leftover um, sour orange. Yeah. And the, the fresh herbs. And, I mean, she kills it. And then we make a, a gravy out of... The pan drippings. Yes. Yeah. And it's so good. That sounds awesome. Well, I mean, if we went... Yeah, through- so I mean- I may do I may do that this year. I've okay. got I've, I've got some days off, and uh, I think I might bury my turkey. I mean, if you went Valentine and you hung it, I'm going to have to go probably traditional, and I would probably say like a good amber or or like a brown a brown ale. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely okay. go that. But if you went the opposite direction, you went more Latin with those flavors and stuff. I would probably lean more towards like a hazy. No, I would say lager. A lager. A nice Mexican lager. Nice, you know, Pilsner, uh, Port of Miami, yeah. you know, something like that. I would definitely lean, depending on which style you went with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those would be the two. Okay, to kind of wrap this this thing up, what are you throwing down for dessert? Well, what do you like? Right, what do you like always, for dessert? I mean, that this always is, piques my interest, I mean, what for, other people like for dessert. For, yeah. me, for me, it's pecan pie and pumpkin uh-huh. pie. But, you know, yep, I'm from are, the South. Those are the classics. And my favorite, though, is my favorite's pecan pie. I do love uh, pumpkin pie too, but pecan pie, Ooh. it's got to, there's got to be a proper goo to nut ratio. Yes, right? yes, like, absolutely. I like, I like way more goo. Yeah. Uh, with that, like, layer of nuts on the top. Yep. Uh, you know, I want all the congealed, congealed <laughs> caro syrup, basically. Uh, give that to me. Um, so yeah, uh, pecan pie essentially is that's that's oh, that's my man. jam. Oh, I mean, what are you pairing? That's for, your jam. I know, I love it. I mean, it, I for me, I would say a barley wine, like a nice, Ooh, yeah. a nice barley wine, like aged in bourbon or rye whiskey. I mean, yeah. e- even a brandy barrel aged barley wine. But I would say a barley wine, just because of those other toffee notes, the dark. The like dark the fruit, dark fruit, like the stone raisins, fruit, raisins, prunes, like that, and then a little bit of the the spirit. It'll roll into that. the into the beer. I think with the pecan pie would be. I mean, that'll work for I think any dessert. I, well, I agree, but I think specifically pecan pie. Yeah. I mean, this would be the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, last question here. Yeah. Tell us about the Overland Chef, your latest project. Okay. So. Um, Overlanding uh, is becoming popular, especially with COVID. Um, COVID sort of took any sort of outdoor activity and put it, you know, in the spotlight um, as people are facing lockdown and being bored at their houses and, you know, 
are being told not to go to public places, spaces and all that stuff. You know, if they could, a lot of my friends just decided to, you know, they can, they realize, Hey, we don't have to go to office. We can work from home. One of my sets of friends bought an RV. Um, and so now they just home is wherever they are right. and they travel all the time. And, um, it's, you know, it's a really cool way of life. Um, and so, um, I started taking a look at that and I was like, well, I think that, you know, I could take what I do professionally as a chef. Um, because one of the best parts of camping and being outdoors is cooking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. And what I'm seeing, um, whether it's on Instagram or, or through all the products that I'm searching for, cause I'm trying to build my outdoor kitchen and things. I'm not seeing a whole lot of stuff out there for the no outdoor for the, for the chef, the actual, right. you know, um, and so like I said, I just, I started uh, just brainstorming that. And so now I'm kind of creating a new entity for myself. Um, and, um, you know, cause uh, restaurants don't really come with a retirement program. No. Uh, a lot of them don't have 401ks and no. it's, you know, you just work until you can't work anymore. And I don't know what comes after that really. Right. Uh, a lot of, a lot of chefs go into now they work for the food service companies, you know, um, when they can't work anymore, when they want to spend more time with their families and, you know, sell groceries and, and whatnot. And that's not for me. I'm, I'm a creative person and I've always got to be driven and, and doing something new and exciting. And so um, for me, that's kind of like something I'm just, uh, I'm exploring and you can see the process, you know, my, my Instagram overland chef. And, uh, you know, there's a lot as, as much about the, the rig. Um, right now I, I traded it. Well, I saw the foreigner, but I got a very new Tacoma. Nice. wasn't being as reliable as open. <laughs> and uh and now i've got the freedom so that i can literally go anywhere and so i'm building uh, uh a new sort of kitchen out of that and everything and it's uh i really want to bring it to my like big time for this <laughs> for this trip. okay i'm not sure that a couple of the parts that like that i want to be able to drive it down there or i mean i could drive it but to be actually able to maybe like serve everything out of right. are going to be here available yet. so okay I am, I am brainstorming. I know we've been talking about plane tickets and whatnot, but I'm still contemplating okay. driving the truck there for All its right. first real trip. I, I think it's an awesome venture, brother, and I really want to thank you for your time coming on the show. It's been awesome, and I will probably be seeing you again in two weeks. I mean, yeah, uh, I cannot wait. Yeah, so, but, awesome. but thank you again, brother. I mean, it's been amazing. Thank, thank you for all your time and thank effort. You and, uh, Thanks, Jesse. We'll see you soon, brother. Thank you, Ray. Good right. to see you. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Amanda McLam and Jesse Houston, my co-host, Maria Cabre, and my producer, Rocco Riggio. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 on Sirius XM. Replays are on Saturdays at 8 p.m. and Sundays at 1 p.m. or anytime on the Sirius XM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, people, the thirst is real. This is Sirius XM Radio.